Hey, everybody. I'm really excited to have today's guest, uh, David Zeff, with us. David started his own company and then went on to help other early stage startups grow and build their sales teams. So today we're going to talk about like outsourcing SDR. What are the pros? What are the cons? What, uh, what he has learned from his own experience. We're going to talk about the important traits for your salespeople to have as well as like AI for sales automation and what place it has and how to best utilize it. So it's going to be a really exciting episode. Really hope you like it. And if you are an early stage startup and you need help building or defining your sales process, then you can reach out to us at startupsales.io. That's startupsales.io. This is what we do. We help several early stage companies in building and scaling their sales process. So let's get to today's episode with David. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. Hey, David, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. So, David, uh, you're from Australia and living here in Israel now and working in the high tech. Can you give us a little bit of background around your work history and, and what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So, I've had a bit of a, an interesting one. I was born in South Africa, moved to Australia when I was a teenager, grew up there. I started working in university. I actually started in the fitness industry purely because one, out of just passion, I always enjoyed the space. Um, but secondly, I knew that it was a great way to make a lot of money for an hour of my time. And I didn't have that many hours while I was studying full time. Um, that was a career that launched into about a six year career, ran a fitness business, which really focused predominantly on corporate clients. So some of my customers were companies like Rolls Royce and I trained all of the employees and I sent them reports, et cetera. And while I was studying business, I noticed that there was a massive gap in the fitness industry for people who had any business knowledge. So, I started with a friend of mine. We uh, founded a company called One Fit Stop, which I didn't even know what a SaaS business was, to be honest. It was a, it was a SaaS business uh, and still is. It's still running. And the idea was basically to handle all of the boring things that trainers hate to do so that they can just go train their clients. So, we did everything from invoicing, payment collection, we also helped with in terms of client fitness tracking, inventory so that they could resell their products. And we did that for three years, but I really wanted to move to Israel. And this is where, you know, a lot of Israelis who are listening and probably slap their heads. And so for me, I, I was trying to run it from here in Australia and the hours are you know, really not the right hours to do it. And, and to be honest with you, I think there were some real gaps in my own experience and knowledge 
to really know how I could have done that. I think today I'd probably be able to do something like that. I mean, I'm, I work most of the time in the US from here. So yeah, it, I was the biggest like obstacle there. I ended up selling my equity to the investors and the companies carried on. I think they, you know, they raised another round since then and they're rocking and rolling and I keep an eye on, you know, my little baby from time to time. I got started in Israel as like on the very basic premise that I needed some money while I was waiting for that equity to come in. I was going to get married a few months later and I took a job that was local at a company called Graduate, which at the time was a five, six person company. It was literally in a windowless cardboard room above a cafe here in Ranana. And I went there for an interview. The interview went basically, I don't know if we've got money for the next two, you know, you might be looking for a job in the next two months, but we'd love to have you. And I said, great, because I mean, I'm getting married in two months, so let's do this. And worst case, I'll find somewhere else. And that company was a huge stepping stone for me. Graduate went on to grow into what's now about a 100-person company. I started sales development rep, which effectively meant cold calling people and getting them for meetings with the very basic script of, hi, would you like to have a meeting with my director? He wants to talk to you. And we sold Edutech. We became a 100-person company. They recently sold the company to a private uh, equity firm. And they have grown ever since. And in my time there, I grew through kind of through the ranks and from starting out as a junior SDR all the way to becoming an AE. And then I was VP of of the SDR team there. It's about a 15-person cold calling machine. And then onward to head up North American sales as well. And then I left after that exit. It was just the right time for me. I realize now that I really love growing things. Uh, because there's so much creativity in that early stage of a company. And once it reaches a certain point, you see it with a lot of big companies that just can't move as fast. I'm not saying that about them, but just in general. And I went on to work. Uh, I started looking at the AI space. It was a really interesting tech space. I went on to work at a company called Verbit, which I worked there for nearly a year. I was doing voice and basically transcription. And I was made an amazing offer to you know come over and head up sales at uh, Exceed, which is like an early stage uh, AI startup company. Okay, so at Exceed, what does your sales process look like today? It's pretty unique. We sell like sales tech, so our bot basically walks people through the full SDR process. So there's more of a focus, I would say, on the marketing side, where we're you know all the standard process in terms of generating leads through Google ads or social ads, etc. Um, so we get about 50% inbound and then 50% outbound, which is running through the bot doing reach out by email. Okay. So you have an SDR team and account executives, right? So what we've done is we've actually outsourced some of the SDR function. Uh, we're still relatively early stage. And then on the AE side, yeah, that's all internal, but the, the SDR a large portion portion of that SDR team is being outsourced specifically for the cold calling, and um, because our uh, bots handle the rest, like they it, it can qualify leads for us as well. So the inbound is mostly done by the bots, the AI, and the outbound is being done by an outsourced SDR. Yeah, I would say inbound one hundred percent bot, outbound about fifty percent of each. Okay, how's the outsourced SDR working? It's been a bit of a hit and miss. 
to be honest. I tried a few companies for it. I think one of the pieces of advice I'd probably give to people who consider similar is to really look at the maths before you invest. Look at the numbers, look at what the returns are. Sometimes it's as effective maybe to bring it in uh, inside as well. Um, and then I think the other part of it is just really making sure that the you know the people that you hire understand very clearly what your messaging is. So we've done it. We've had a few examples. We've had like contractors, we've you know, individual contractors. We've worked with like full blown you know companies of uh, thousands of calls a month. Um, and with each of them, I've seen some positives and, and some negatives as well. I'm very biased now just because of what we do on the SDR side with bots. My opinion has largely changed of the whole SDR function as a whole. I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I do want to go down that rabbit okay. hole. But before we do, I want to continue on that outsource SDR because almost all my guests have, have said, like, don't do it. So I'd like to understand, like, better, like, I understand, like, your high-level overview of it, but what would you ask to make it better? What would you do differently if you had it to do it all over again? I think some of the big challenges with outsourcing the cold calling and you know the SDR process is one understanding the real KPIs that you're going to get from it from the start and also really being able to track and understand what's going on as it goes on. I think specifically with sales and even you know, and SDR as well, I think you do need to have that listening ear. You know, when I was you know, running an S, a cold calling SDR team, I was always you know, checking in throughout the day, listening to the conversations because it's an adaptive thing. And so sometimes a lot of the companies that um, you work with in the space, you kind of give them a script, you give them and they, and they just run that. But there might be something interesting coming back feedback-wise that they could change that and that would, you know, elevate the the response rate or the rate of them actually being able to schedule meetings. And I think that those pieces are really, really important from the start. Um, I think you need to have some really good, way of controlling the messaging what's happening and understanding what the value is in return yeah all right so what if you could like if you were gonna go hire somebody now what are like the two or three most important questions that you would ask and what are you looking for from the outsource sdr from an outsource on an sdr perspective from the outs outsourcing perspective i think what i would want to know is have they worked with companies similar to us? And by that, I don't just necessarily mean the industry. I mean this, the the type, uh, like the stage of growth that we're in. You know, we're still an early stage startup. And although we've got some really great clients, I think that, you know, we still have to be, we still have those teething issues that all early stage companies have. And that it's not so rigid in terms of plug-in and, and play. I think there's still, we need you in some ways to kind of tell us what to do. And I would, you know, want to know very clearly from day one, what's our end goals here? I think the other thing just to bring up is a, a lot of, I mean, we, we made this mistake ourselves is we basically piloted like a few, a few companies for a month or two months. And I think with anything sales related, you've got to give it at least two quarters. Whether you hire an SDR, whether you hire an AE, you need to give them some time to build that up because some of those first conversations come back a little bit later. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you've seen that, like after you let go of one of the SDR companies, you found that some of those leads came back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that's hard to measure with SDR. It's a bit like marketing in that sense. You don't always know 
how a certain call or lead, you know, was generated. Sometimes someone spoke to someone, right? And and even they sometimes don't know how they heard about you when they came to the call. I just heard about you. I think how it works is you kind of create ripples with SDR and marketing is very similar in that sense is you create ripples and then it's it bounces off something else, you know, and, and those guys want to find the source of that. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump into that other uh, rabbit hole that you were talking about. Why are you not so sold on the uh, SDR position now? I am a, I was a very big outbound cold calling get on the phones guy. That's as far as the last few years of uh, my sales career, that's what always worked. And I'm sure you'll see it all the time. I mean, there's lots of best practice, you know, debate on LinkedIn. But most people will say, pick up the phone. And I still say, pick up the phone. But having said that, when you look at the numbers, there are only so many hours that people have in a day. There are only so many calls that get through. And it's usually a very low amount in terms of the actual total of outbound. And it's a process and it's a lot of work for a very small percentage result. I've been exposed to the whole world of AI tech in terms of the sales process and bots that can basically walk a prospect through the basic typical back and forth questions that people want and schedule a demo in my calendar. And as a result, when I noticed that, the bot was beating. So what I did was I I hired, I contracted an SDR with the same leads, not even just the same amount, but the same leads that I gave to a bot. And we had them basically run against each other. And the bot beat him seven to one in a given month in terms of like book demos. And when I saw that, it kind of blew my mind because I, I always assumed that a human, you know, on the phones would do a better job. Now, this is obviously not a good sample size because any maybe he wasn't doing a great job, right? Or maybe just lucky. But I do think that when you look at the kinds of the stats that are out there in terms of how people prefer to buy, I think about 80% of people prefer to buy via email. They actually prefer to engage via email. And it's a lot less threatening a lot of the time. For that reason, a lot of salespeople will tell you, get on the phones, right? Because it forces people to decision and you can read what's going on. Yeah, at the moment, I'm very biased because of what we do, but I just, because of the results that I've seen. And I think that there is a new future for SDRs um, and I th- it's being driven by technology and it's going to require companies to stop thinking of SDRs as glorified secretaries you know, to schedule meetings for you and to un- ask the basic you know, th- two or three questions. I think SDRs are basically, the role is going to probably within even the next three years be more about using a combination of technology that's going to be doing the back and forth and managing that and also doing real proper deep research into companies and that means maybe mapping out who's involved in the decision process who reports to who what's recent you know with that company in their history you know what other products are they using and being able to deliver that kind of higher level intel and i think that's where that whole industry is going and those that don't, those that are just re- relying on the usual, you know, I'm going to call, I'm going to give my script, I'm going to ask like two or three qualification questions and schedule a meeting, you will be replaced by technology uh, and you are already. So um, it's, it's, it's an interesting perspective because a lot of times, a lot of people are talking about this on LinkedIn and everything. Yeah. But I, I'm curious, you know, you said that your bot was a seven to one ratio in this short trial, but... What kind of sales process or sales type do you have? Is it more transactional? Is it a more relationship? It's a good question. It kind of depends, to be honest, because 
unique in the sense that what we do can relay to lots of different types of companies. And we've got you know one-man shows that work with us. We've got really large companies that work with us. But I would say that when we're dealing with enterprise-level clients, I do think that's really where humans are going to be doing a better job. Because in order to really you know, navigate through an enterprise, you have to have high-level understanding. You have to understand the different personalities that you're going to come across and be able to map that relationship. And I think that's really where the future of SDR is. I think technology can handle those transactional things better than humans, right? Walk somebody, we see it all the time today, right? Walk somebody through a purchase uh, online or schedule a meeting for you with a customer support or what have you. But I think, like you say, I think that the enterprise side of things is going to be driven by humans and for the basic reason that people like buying from people and usually enterprises, there's a lot of people and you have to understand how to navigate that. And that's not something that you can replace with technology, at least not today or definitely not the near or mid to near future. Absolutely. I couldn't agree. Like more like, I think this will be like something like this, this uh, AI that you have and other tools out there will be really beneficial to these uh, companies going after like mid-market because yeah. then it could it could easily handle the low end, you know, where it doesn't make financial sense to have a salesperson actually like processing that and, and working on that uh, transaction. Whereas the higher end, the upper end of the scale, then it makes more financial sense to have a salesperson working that building a relationship because it's also more complicated. Right. Yeah, I agree. All right. So what kind of sales tools are you using for your process? Um, number one, just to self-plug exceed ai for all of our most of our sdr hubspot crm zoom for meetings slack for communication asana for all of the tasks that i sometimes forget to do and uh, g suite <laughs> for everything email and calendar related and i believe that is yeah that that's probably even all of them and then you know obviously powerpoint and the usual why powerpoint just for, I, I, just for uh, demos. Yeah. Are you running a lot of like uh, slides for your demos? I try to keep it relatively short with slides. I think people enjoy the break between screens. So you, you need to kind of have a few things that you show people in a demo. I, would, I usually do maybe three or four slides just to kind of set the scene and understand more importantly what they're looking for and what they're about and why we're here. And then, you know, really quick product overview and next steps from there so how big is your team now we are nearly 10 people now okay and and how many of those are in sales so far we've got uh, two people on the sales side so you're really like early stage early stage yeah but i mean this is like the world i know just kind of at least you know last five years or whatever it is since i came here like i did that dance before and I, and that's what interests me i think that that's the where you have the most fun absolutely yeah, this is why i love it i mean if you're looking for something easy where you could nine to five then definitely don't go early stage yeah and also if you're if you're not willing to adapt like i've seen a lot of scenarios where you know as we grew in my previous company you know, we hired sales reps that had maybe worked in much larger companies and, and forgot about that. And, you know, when you're used to kind of having everything delivered to you on a plate, that makes it, you know, really, really hard for you to grow in a small startup, right? You have to be willing to sometimes do things that, hey, aren't in the job description. That's, but that's, that's why I like it. Because for, for me, that's how you upskill 
Yeah. If you hire people in the early stage that come from these big organizations, most of the time, there's always outliers, but most of the time, you know, they they want somebody else to help with the POC documents, with the legal documents and putting together a, deck, a sales deck. And, you know, it, no, in the early stage, you have to do everything. You have to be the full picture. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I remember from, I worked with a guy once who came from a really successful company, which, you know, they had no shortage of inbound leads and we were a purely outbound model. And it was just a disaster, right? Like, you know, he'd tell SDRs he wouldn't want to talk to people who didn't have like a clear English accent. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll talk to them. Like, I'm here to, I'm here to make money. Like, I'm not uh, picking my, uh, picking my shots. Start, yeah, that early stage, you've got to have the hustle. I think that has to go across all positions, not just on the sales side. I think everyone that you hire early stage has to understand that a lot of their job description is going to go out the window the second they start and they're going to land up doing a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So with this team, uh, this early stage sales team that you've got, what's been your biggest challenge that you overcame? It's hard to tell the biggest, right? Because there's going to be a lot of challenges as you grow as an early stage. But I think we're in a unique position in the sense that there's no lack of interest in what we're doing. We get a lot of leads and there's a lot to handle, but a lot of those leads aren't really high quality. And I think that it's been changing the attitude from, hey, we, you know, in the very, very beginning, you want every deal that you can get. And you have to understand that has a cost to it, right? You know, devoting a lot of time to something that's not going to have, bring in a lot of revenue is not, not a great move. So I would say part of it is refining and, and creating that, those qualification metrics and already being able to have those discussions at an early stage, which if you're not dealing with a sales-oriented leadership team, it seems counterintuitive. If you tell these, hey, listen, I want us to have less sales, but more of the right type. So we're going we're gonna to close less deals, but the deals that we close are going to be ones that stay with us and actually, you know, we earn money off. It's, it can be a tough conversation to have. And I think that's, um, that's part of it. I think that's part of the big challenges. And I think the rest is, I mean, you, re- you create everything from scratch almost, right? So you have to have people that are really adaptable and willing to go with that, or even the best case, willing to create stuff themselves and come to you with it. Um, and suggest new things to you. And, and that's the best scenario. And I think picking those kind of people is a huge challenge. And here in, in Israel, we don't have a shortage in terms of employment options. I know we were talking about it before this, uh, this began. So you've really got to find that right, that right person. Yeah. Hi- hiring is, is such a big thing. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. By far the hardest challenge. What are your top three tips when hiring? Well, in terms of who I'd want to hire, I think I usually just had, I, to be honest, I had two that I always used to judge when I tried to, when I uh, grew my SDR team. They were number one, uh, look at the person in terms of actual job fit. Like, are they actually able to do the job? So I would usually do some sort of mock interview, but actually get them to sell whatever they're comfortable with. Just, you know, walk me through how you do this today. And number two is team fit. It's really important. The, one of the worst things that you can do for your team is bring in the wrong people that aren't accepted by the team or can do some damage there. And so I would always make sure that I had a good read on, on my team and their personalities and their culture and make sure that that new person fit it. I don't think there's a point in hiring a, you know, 
a square peg and trying to fit them into a round hole. It's just not going to work. And you don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. It's better to hire the right kind of fit from the start and you can change everything later. But I would say those are the two big ones. How do you make sure that they work well with the team? Do you like have a couple team members come in during the interview process? Yeah, I try to do some good for a background checking on a person. It sounds crazy, but usually try to hire somebody that you know, from that someone I know has worked with or knows socially or what have you, um, just on like a trust level. And then, yeah, I would usually have some people from my team involved in that process, get to meet them, just, hey, go talk to this person. Um, tell me what you think. Like, what's the, what do you think about this person's vibe? And, and I trusted, you know, I trusted my team's ability to do that because they have to work with them every day and sit next to them every day. And the last thing you want to do as a manager is ha- spend two hours a day listening to people who hate working with each other. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> morale important. Yeah, babysitting. It's a, you don't, you, you know, best scenario ever, you don't hear from anyone, you know, in that level at least. So I think those are critical, you know, f- fitness for work and fitness for the team. Excellent. All right. So let's focus on you a little bit more. What is something that you're doing that makes you excel in your position more than like other people with the same position? Firstly, I don't know if I am excited more than anyone else. <laughs> Let me start there. But I think one of the things I noticed that I do that I don't know if a lot of people do is I'm very obsessive about my usage of time, of my time. Everything is is marked in my calendar. Everything. You know, you know, other than when I wake up, because now for kids, that's kind of that part's unstructured, but it used to be. But otherwise, like everything's set to a schedule. And that way I can, you know, have a goal, work towards it, break it into little chunks and divide those hours. I hate wasting time. I hate long meetings that are unnecessary. I would rather have a conversation over Slack or whatever that needs to get um, something done. And I try to prioritize my time into like high priority tasks and get them done first. And then I think with something that I've only, to be honest, recently started doing the last seven months, which I think has helped me tremendously is actively learning. I think a lot of salespeople just assume like, oh, I get sales. It's like, it's a talent. It, it might be a talent, but it's also a skill and uh, you have to invest in the learning. And there are amazing resources out there. There are amazing books out there on, on selling. And I try to listen to as many different podcasts and uh, that I can because you always learn something that you just didn't know, right? There's lots of things that you can do. So I think that's probably two things that I'm doing at the moment that at least I'm proud of. I don't know if that makes me you know, more effective than <laughs> anyone, anyone else, but may, I don't know. Maybe it does. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of the things that every person, I think every person on the show has said is, you know, make sure that when you hire for sales, it's, it's somebody that's a learner. That's always constantly yeah. learning. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what's your favorite sales or leadership book? I'm reading a book now. It's not necessarily a leadership book, but it's called Triangle Selling. It's quite interesting just in terms of the, you know, obviously there's the Challenger Sale and all of those standard books that come through. Um, but this one's just got an interesting take on on how to sell. And concurrently, I'm reading another one that's called Hooked. And that's all about how to build technology that, you know, hooks people and I think what, one of the things that salespeople forget is that it's not just the sale. You've got to understand the tech. You've got to understand the process. And maybe sometimes you've got to have a hand in the product development as well. And specifically as we're talking early stage. 
So I'm trying to understand as much about that process too, so that that will make it life easier for me when I sell. So I, I kind of dabble in lots of different things that are related. But yeah, whether it's a sales-specific book, whether it's something on human behavior, whether it's something on actual tech products it, that I think could add interest, you know, I'll sign up for all sorts of webinars and podcasts and listen to them on the weekend or on a Friday morning. And what's one of the podcasts that you listen to? I listen to a lot of the stuff that Gong puts out. And I'm not sure if it's because of just the way they market everything that they do. But there's a lot of gems there that come through. There's also a person called David Premier, who puts out a lot of interesting uh, content. He just had an article that I just got sent now. um, And it was all about, it's called When Customers Withhold Information From You. It's all about sales discovery and what to do to help your customers open up. Um, I really like his style. It's like straight to the point, and I, I like listening to a lot of what he has to say. All right, uh, we're we're kind of getting out of time here. Let's ask. Uh, I've got one more question for you, though. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice that you have for all the early stage management and founders out there? Look, uh, we live in a very interesting time and in a very interesting space for a lot of uh, high tech or early stage startups. I think that a lot of companies get really wrapped up in the fundraising process or in the product development process and not as much focused on the actual sales numbers. And I think the saying, you know, sales cures all is very true specifically at an early stage. I think you shouldn't try to spend so much of your time perfecting a product and so much of your time raising money and having the right pitch deck and talking to the right investors as you should actually selling it and making sure that people want to buy it. Because ultimately, if people don't want to buy your product or service or solution, whatever you want to call it, you're going to have a hard time with everything else, right? And it's not worth investing the money into into the product development. And it's also not worth having those investor conversations because they're going to throw back in your face where the sales. So I would always, as far as you're able, get to that. I'm going to tell you something that everyone knows, right? Get to that minimum viable product and sell it. Sell it, sell things that you can develop and build it. And it's a model I've seen work. It's also a model that can be disastrous if you don't, if you can't build it. But focus on the actual sales and I think the rest will follow. Absolutely. If you get enough sales, the, the investors will start coming your way. Right. <laughs> They'll right. be knocking on your door. <laughs> right. That's usually how it works, right? And that also fuels the product development, right? Because who better to tell you what to build than customers who are going to pay for it? That's how the best pieces of technology are built. Great, David. Thanks so much for being with us today. How can people reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn. David Zeff. You can take a look at exceed.ai as well. Just Google me, guys. I'm sure you know (laughs) how to to find me. (laughs) And uh, look, I'll send you, if you want, I can send you my email address as well. You can share it with with your readers as well. If anyone wants to chat to me about anything sales related or be in touch about Exceed as well. Okay. I'll put the link for your LinkedIn into the show notes as well so people could just do one click. Okay. Sounds good. All right, David. Thanks again for joining us. All right. My pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.